second episode of The Next Thing. I'm Laura Burr, and as always, I'm joined by John McDonald. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, Laura. Happy to be back again for round two. Today, we are taking a closer look at the ag tech industry, and we have special guest Brad Fruth, Director of Innovation at Bex Hybrid, with us in the studio today. Welcome, Brad. Thanks for having me today, Laura. Very, very glad to have you. So, Brad, what's your job at Bex? Yeah, so I tell people most of the time I have the best job at Bex Hybrids. So my role is I'm the Director of Innovation at Bex Hybrids. Wow, the Director of Innovation. That's an awesome title. That's right. Well, I'm a recovering IT guy. Uh So I uh, worked in the IT field for about 15 years at Bex. And then a couple years ago, uh, we saw the need internally to take a lot of the same things that we do in IT, which is define a problem, find a solution and implement um, into the other groups at Bex Hybrid. So Scott and Sonny sat down and asked me if uh, I would consider taking this role and jumped at the opportunity to uh, help our organization. So, you know, I live in Indiana, which means I pretend that I know stuff about agriculture, (laughs) but I really don't. You know, I like I can know I know where the nearest farm is, but that's about all I know. So what does Bex do as an organization? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Most people think that we just sell popcorn and sign a bunch of roads. But um, (laughs) but no. So at 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 Bex Hybrids, we're a family owned uh, faith based organization and we sell corn, soybeans and wheat to farmers in really the central and eastern Corn Belt. Okay, so what do they do with this stuff when you when they buy it? Yeah, so we are selling the um, the seed that a farmer will buy from us, rather from one of our dealers, mm-hmm. and then that's the seed that they will plant and grow throughout the throughout the year, and then sell to an elevator co-op, ethanol plant, um, wherever they like to sell their uh, products at. Okay, so they don't just uh, take a bag of this stuff and go out and start spraying it around their field, right? This is no, a little bit more complicated, no, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. So we um, we offer what what we like to call choices at Bex Hybrid. So we sell different seeds and varieties. Those have different male and female parents, and then we also are involved in the um, in in GMO based products. So there's also now traits. So everybody mm. or every farmer um, has to select a product that works one well well on their soil and works uh, well in the weather conditions. And then also based on what type of herbicide or chemical program they may or may not have, then we have to layer that on as, as well. So there's a lot of science that has to come into this. So for example, on the digital side of, of our organization, we spend a lot of the time trying to come up with, uh, with tools and algorithms of how we place our products appropriately, because mm. we want the product to have, or, or, or we want the farmer to have the right product at the right place in the right time. The worst thing for us is for a farmer to have a bad experience with one of our products. Yeah. And so we spend a lot of time working on the science and the data behind what products work well in what in, in environments. So what does that entail? I, I expect a lot of computers, a lot of mathematics, a lot of algorithms. So how do you go about doing that? Like, say, I, I come to you and I say, hey, I'm farmer McDonald, old McDonald had a farm. And I want to plant uh, soybeans. So now what? What happens? Yeah. So a lot of it is based on where you farm and where and where those uh, fields are. So we collect a large amount of data from our own test plots. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the one of the other things that we do is we also rely on a lot of data from whoever we're, we're getting maybe a male or female parent from. And so while one of the difficult things to do in our world when you're constantly coming out with new products is that a farmer 
might not feel comfortable with a certain product because they want to test it for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Well, that product might be obsolete in, mm-hmm. in, in that time frame. So we do a lot on genetic families. Mm-hmm. And, and so we'll do a considerable amount of testing in different environments. We'll collect all that information and then you start to correlate um, and so that you can place it in the right uh, geographies. We do sell corn based on hybrid maturity. So you have shorter day corn the farther north because their growing season is shorter than if you go down south. So we definitely aren't going to design a product that works well in Nashville, Tennessee. We're not going to want in, you in Minneapolis to to plant that, that uh, product. So our guys on our product teams rely on a lot of data. Uh, most of the time, then when a when a product comes to commercialization, there's a handoff that happens in our digital side of here's how we're going to place this product uh, effectively, and then of of uh, course, you also have to take into account in agriculture that we're relying on on biology. Mm. So well, we are, for example, here in 2022, uh, right now we are making the decisions on what hybrids we're going to make in 2022 that we will sell to farmers in 2023. So if we have a weather event in 2022 that might make a hybrid maybe uh, not produce what we wanted it to, that affects what we're gonna sell in 2023. So our raw product, there's a large planning cycle that has to happen. So we can suggest that every farmer in Indiana plant hybrid A, but if we had poor growing conditions last year, we might have not been able to produce enough of that hybrid. So there's a lot of data, a lot of planning, um, and you know we wanna do everything that we can as a company to meet the demands of our customers, but sometimes that, you know, the weather doesn't doesn't cooperate. So in our business, we just can't go to Amazon and order another product <laughs> another or, bag. or order Try another again. bag. You have yeah. to physically make it, mm-hmm. and that takes a growing season or 110 wow. days. So um, you have to deal with with the cycles of growing a of growing an actual product. Wow, that's amazing. So there's a lot of tribal knowledge, I'm sure, on your team and people that know this stuff year after year. And I'm sure the farmer has a lot of knowledge of the land in most cases and all that yeah. kind of gets rolled together into a model, I suppose. It does. And then that's the science. So there's still art in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I could ed- ed- educate you all day, John, on why this car is better than that car. But at the end of the day, if you just like that car better, you know, there's, <laughs> there's still art in it where mm-hmm. a farmer might feel more comfortable with, with one number. So you support the customer the best that you can, but at the end of the day, they are the customer. You know, uh, one of the things I've observed uh, about the farmers that I know, and it's not a huge list of people, I'll just be honest with you, but they're very pragmatic people uh, in the sense that they don't want to be the first to adopt a technology, but they're darn sure not going to be the last, right? And so they don't want to fall behind. So being at the center of that, as you are, how do you deal with innovation for your own organization? Yeah, so this is how we really view innovation. And, you know, when they started my role about two years ago, um, you know, there was some friction internally because everybody thought we started this innovation department. But, you know, why Um, am I not doing my job right? You know, why do I need to bring another guy in to come in and 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 tell me how to do my uh, job? And so we had to have a lot of conversations that we really view innovation as disruptive change. So we have a lot of smart people in our IT group. We've got a lot of smart people on our product team. If if we're going to innovate and make new products, we have a team already set up to do that. That's an efficiency play. If somebody comes in and says, hey, here's a business process. I'd like to make this electronic. That's an efficiency play. Mm-hmm. We've Incremental got a, yeah, we have a great mm-hmm. team. You know, 
our team is well, and I would also say we've been very blessed with um, with sales increases every single year. So our mm. business, even though we're almost ninety years old, has been scaling twelve to eighteen percent per per year for twenty years. Wow, wow. And so when you go to somebody that's maybe in charge of trucking or that's in charge of warehousing and say, "Hey, have you thought about doing something new and disruptive like autonomous forklifts?" They go, "I'm trying to keep everybody." you know, healthy. Mm -hmm. I want them home every night. Mm -hmm. And every year you're asking me to do 20% more and you want me to look at something new? No. And, and, and so a large part of what my team does is we're the white space internally Mm -hmm. that can go to a department and say, how do you need help? Mm -hmm. So some groups go, I'm looking at autonomous forklifts. I don't know where to start. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. Yes. We have some groups that say, can you help me maybe just with a cash flow? Or um, we had a project just a couple uh, weeks ago where somebody internally said, I want to do X. Introduce me to startups or innovative people that can help me solve this. So we're really we're the therapists. We're also the people. um, We're connectors and networkers of people. But the projects that we work on are disruptive. So, for example, I just talked about automated forklifts. That's going to change how we hire people, how Mm -hmm. we train people. It change our cost position. It could change our our shifting. It's going to change everything. And that, to me, is disruptive change. That's not incremental change. So you you play the role of being the headlights on where the disruptive uh, technology innovation can come from. And you do that. You get your own direction from teams internally that say, go look in yes. this space. I need help in this space, right? So it's less about the incremental innovation and more about putting the headlights on the disruption. Yeah, and it's, you know, we run an annual business too. So we sell our product one time per year. That's very different mm-hmm. from other people that might look at things in months or quarters. So what mm-hmm. that means is that we have to have a, a very far looking view. So mm-hmm. some of the things that we look at, you know, if it's five years out, we got to get started now. Right. You know, um, so we we also spend some time looking at the agricultural space in general. You know, um, Sonny and the Beck family, um, you know, our mission at Beck's Hybrids is to help farmers succeed. Mm-hmm. Right now, we do that through the selling of, of seed. That environment is changing how farmers uh, get information, how they how they buy it. We have disruptors in our own business. Um, So we also have to keep a pulse on what's happening and then be able to maybe see how things are coming down the pipe in 10 years Mm -hmm. and how we need to adjust our business just because of the cycles of innovation, maybe is a better word, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, for us to 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 try something one year, implement the next year, that's at least two years just to get that just to get that product there. So you mentioned that your main product is seeds, but you're spending time developing technology and other resources for farmers. Is that more of a direction that you see Bex Hybrid moving forward? Yeah. So our our main mission at Bex, as I mentioned, is to help farmers succeed. So we are a value driven company. So we sell seed, but we have six other value adds that we bundle in for for quote unquote no cost um, in, into that bag. So if you look at the stool of product, price, and service, we try to uh, win that service stool. So if you want the cheapest price, we'll give you the name of some other companies that you could gladly go uh, call. Um, you know, um, but we try to win that 
service side all day long. So when you talk about digital, when you talk about products, you know, we have a whole side to our business called Practical Farm Research. We're for free in seven locations on 2000 acres across the U.S. We do testing on production practices and give all the data wow. to our customers just to make them more efficient. So our digital tools are all free. Um, a lot of the things like practical farm research, we have a seed treatment program. We allow customers to return seed, no questions asked. All that stuff is to provide really a best in class customer experience um, so that we can win that service side. So, you know, uh, you were talking a minute ago about this autonomous forklifts, and I hadn't made the connection between that and how it might change the nature of your very nature of your business. Uh, over the weekend, I was reading as well about how, um, I guess, the folks that did the autonomous uh, vehicle challenge out at the Speedway decamped and moved out to CES in Las Vegas this week to kind of mm -hmm. show off that technology. So there's a lot of interest in autonomous uh, vehicles, has been for a while. Uh, I can't imagine that this isn't creating extreme disruption as well in the agriculture business, right? Yeah, I mean, labor single-handedly is forcing this disruption and has actually been even pre-COVID right. in the agricultural space. You know, um, when you're buying and selling a commodity, the only thing you can control is how efficient you are at growing said commodity. Yeah, And so a lot of the things and a lot of the projects that are on our board right now, and like I mentioned, even pre-COVID was around... a was around autonomy and automation and robotics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we um, it's it, it's no um, it's no secret. Nobody wants to detassel corn anymore. Um, nobody <laughs> right. wants to do. I did that. I actually did that. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's most people's tie to ag. Is I detassel <laughs> right, corn right, right. in high school, and I never want to do it ever again. Yeah, you're right. But even you if, if if you take the act of detasseling corn, it is probably one of the most important things mm -hmm. in the production of seed corn is pollination mm -hmm. and it is single-handedly the most important thing we can deal with lack of water we can deal with too much water we cannot deal with a lack so of for those of the, those who are unaware of the <laughs> of detasseling corn and its purpose educate, educate yeah so the so when we're growing hybrid corn you have a male and you have a female corn it will self-pollinate mm -hmm. so what you do is you cut off the tassels of the female so that it's pollinated only from the male plant um, and that's why you see some corn where that has a tassel in one row and then four rows of short corn and then one row of tall corn and four rows of short corn. That is a male female pollination. So after that pollination mm -hmm. occurs right now, most of that detasseling is mechanically done. But there is still a field check that is done by hand for quality control. And so that one pass is 80 percent of the cost. And nobody wants to do it. And you only do it for six weeks out of the year um, with a labor force that's highly volatile. So yeah. that's a that's ripe for um, for disruption. So I will I will also tell you is that um, we've also learned that um, a lot of lessons that we need to be better at partnering and sharing across some maybe some of our friends in the vegetable business. Mm. So when it comes to automation, um, does Bex have a budget to single-handedly design an autonomous detasseler? No. Mm -hmm. However, there is some phenomenal stuff going on the West Coast in strawberries and nuts where they're trying to perfect this technologies. And we think that we're going to be potentially a fast follower. Mm -hmm. So while we won't make a machine that does this, we will maybe get somebody that builds a strawberry harvester and say, hey, can you take that arm yeah. off of there, modify your computer vision to look at female corn, and then do 
and then do this uh, process. But I will tell you, labor right now is single handedly driving everybody screaming towards all of this. And some of it isn't really about money. It's about access. Mm. What does that mean? It means that um, like if you take that detasseling thing, I could pay you, John, I could say I want to pay you a hundred million dollars to go detassel corn. Yeah. But if you're not available and I don't have uh, access to you, yeah. it doesn't matter how much money you have because I have a time window in which I have to have something done. Right. Zero right. flexibility. Right. Zero. Right. And so it doesn't matter how much money you have if you just can't get it. Yeah, I can't do it. It's not done. Interesting. So you mentioned that you have an internal team for innovation, um, but there are other groups, you know, with the strawberries and the nuts that are developing new technology. Does VEX Hybrid have a method or um, would they ever invest in ag technology that you could potentially be early adopters of? Yeah, so that's a great question. And we get... Um, one of the things that our group also does is we do all the interfacing with startup companies. And so we we take a heavy amount of inbound right now from startup companies that, quite frankly, are looking for a check. And um, if, if if anybody has spent some time with our organization, they'll know that you probably don't want to take a check from us because we are very involved. Um, <laughs> and we um, we, we yeah. want to be in your business, like yeah. in your business yeah. all the time. So, the, so the, the conversation that I like to have with folks, we love to collaborate, but I'm probably you don't want to take a check from me. But what we can do is help you to refine your product. I mentioned we have the practical farm research. So uh, one of the things that we look at, we look at a lot of IoT. So um, we take a trust but verify model with IoT. And so what I like to do is say, hey, could we put you in our practical farm research program? And let's look at, let's, I'm gonna, I trust you that you say you can do what you are gonna do, but let's verify it. And so we normally take them through a series of ground truthing. When we get to the end of the year, let's sit down, look at the results, okay? Very rarely do they turn out as well as what the PowerPoint deck (laughs) said and then look at it and then say, okay, where are the points that we can collaborate with? Now, it might be a technology that we that we might say, you know what, I'm going to do a paid POC. So I'm not asking you to do nothing. If the if the if the technology is maybe more mature, I might ask you to put some skin in the game. But we really like to take people through uh, some sort of validation phase first. Um, and at the end of the day, we're trying to there's 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 no secret about it. We're trying to get to what is the value that when I sit down with a farmer and I can say you're going to need to spend twenty dollars an acre to implement technology A. What is that value? I have to be putting money back into my customers pockets mm. and people forget that. And so uh, what I what it normally is a turnoff for me is when people are, say, oh, well, we're going to give farmers back time in their day. Mm hmm. And people assume that they're going to then like go to the coffee shop or sit <laughs> right. down and have dinner. Like, no. Binge watch a show on Yeah, uh, like that's yeah. not what's right. going to happen. Right. And and so uh, all the technology. So, for example, you know, we're we're testing a lot of stuff in soil right now. That is that's the next frontier in ag is what's happening underneath the the uh, the uh, ground. Mm. It's great technology. It makes super cool maps. We just haven't figured out quite yet how some of it pays for itself, right? Mm-hmm. And and so um, that's what a lot of the testing that we do, and I, I'm not saying it, it's all smoke and mirrors, but um, those value statements of those startup companies normally change and morph uh, by the by the time that we get to the end of, of that. So we like to run everybody through some sort of validation phase. 
We'll sit through, look at the data, and then we sit down and really then have a business conversation and say, okay, is this a product that we can integrate into one of our other product lines? Um, we have a farm management platform at Bex called Farm Server, um, and it is not an open API system. So then we sit down and say, okay, do we look at possibly mm-hmm. integrating you into our farm server application? Um, you know, what do you what do you really need? Most of the startup companies as well are looking to scale their sales organization. Mm-hmm. And they think that if they we just come up with a creative way to share revenue, that we'll just give you access to our thousand dealers. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So that's that's really what we have to take people uh, through. Um, the other side, I would say, is like what we talked about with maybe the autonomous forklift project where we have a problem and I'm we're in seek and destroy mode. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, I want to partner with you. I have a project. I want to spend money. Help me solve my problem now. So there, those are really two sides of that coin. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned a few things, uh, autonomy for one driven by labor, what's happening below the ground versus what's happening Mm -hmm. above the ground. Where are the biggest areas you see from a disruption perspective in agriculture on the next, Oh, I don't know, five to 10 years. Yeah. So the one of the things that is very exciting to me is really this CRISPR technology. And so what's that? uh, So CRISPR is the ability to go in and edit DNA Mm. and be very specific and target certain areas of the DNA and they can make a cut in an edit. Okay. Mm, now. To some people, I know uh, I don't want to get into the That's GMO. Heresy. Non, non <laughs> never, GMO. I'm, I don't, yeah. You're going to screw up my Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As you're sitting there mm-hmm. eating your seedless grape, but um, <laughs> you know, the, right. the the thing that is very interesting is uh, to us is we've never in time had the ability to really create highly specialized products. So mm. one of the projects that that I really enjoy as well as we think that there's a potential that our business is going to change in 10 to 20 years where we're going to be selling our products not on the agronomic side but on the value upstream. So I'll just give you an example. We've been mm. working with a distillery down in ten- uh. down in Tennessee and we can we think we can create value by creating a product that provides a higher alcohol content wow to to that distillery now that's not using crispr technology but but you know there is um uh, that's highly valuable to a mm-hmm. distillery so everybody in ag right now is trying to decommoditize their product just mean differentiate it. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so we, we see that we also see this happening in food. Bex doesn't necessarily play in this space, but you see a lot of games with food labeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, with uh, CRISPR technology, you know, is is there the ability to make a better product that when fed to cows produces a higher fat content in milk? Mm-hmm. Is there uh, the ability to edit a hybrid to tolerate drought stress? in in a much different way Um, you know when we talk to our friends down in the south and the southwest they're obsessed with water usage so how efficient can we make a plant uh, to be able to generate the same amount of bushels but use less of nitrogen water Resources there, so Mm -hmm. so that to me is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Now I will tell you that we have the technological capability. The industry hasn't figured out necessarily what to go in and edit yet. Um, And it's not not to say that you're going to get like purple corn or or any of this stuff. Most almost all of the stuff that we're talking about is how can we be more efficient in land use and conservation, and then how could I maybe go into an ethanol plant 
and say, you're going to have three custom hybrids for an ethanol plant that's going to do X, Y, Z. That to me is pretty exciting stuff. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, just to kind of round that out, autonomy and robotics, everybody's screaming towards that. Um, and there's there's a bunch of really cool stuff uh, going on there with people that typically don't think about ag either. And so those are really fun conversations. And mm-hmm. when you can sit down with somebody that's like, oh, this isn't applicable to you. And I'm like, we run like this huge supply chain business for six months. Mm-hmm. It's directly applicable to what we do. Yeah. We often see those intersections as being the places where innovation happens when you intentionally jam together two seemingly unrelated industries and then see what happens as a result. Yeah. I mean, so just to kind of piggyback on that, John, you know, we tested a technology this year um, with a with a company that came up with a vacuum control system on a planter that every single seed that drops, keep in mind, it's planting 32,000 seeds an acre, like at a high rate of speed, every single seed would be dropped tip down. Wow. Um, those guys were actually worked on the Reaper drone project, right? Like oh, they okay. don't have anything to do with ag, but they know about orientation Obviously. and they know how to reorient yeah. very, 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 very quickly. So we love those kinds of intersections and to run into people like that. That's amazing. I remember seeing a a machine in one of your operations that uh, looks like it's blowing seeds past a, a light basically at a high speed. But what it's really doing is it's scanning each seed and using small jets of air and it'll push the, the seed out of the stream that's falling down. If it if it doesn't match whatever the, yeah, AI it's called a color is. sorter. Actually that yeah. technology was adopted from the pharmaceutical industry. So ah. there's a lot of what we do. It, it all, it all cross references with uh, somebody else. Yeah. Great stuff. You know, if I was uh, thinking about or I had an idea, you know, related to agriculture in some way, maybe I am uh, work on a farm or maybe I'm just familiar with, uh, you know, the technology. What, what's the what's the pathway to you guys? Is there a email address I should send something to? Is yeah, no. A- so that's that's a great question. Um, our innovation team has been the clearinghouse kind of for all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm more than happy to send me an email, send me a text, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, we we try to make ourselves extremely visible within the ecosystems, um, even from a university standpoint, from a startup studio standpoint. Um, we found that this is you have to have technical chops, but man, this is a people business more yeah. and more every right. single day. And so I tell everybody, I'll talk to anybody once um, <laughs> and I will hear your great idea, your horrible idea, your napkin scratch. Um, you know, I will see anything once. So uh, don't hesitate to find us, hit us up. We're more than happy to sit down and, and uh, chat. Brad Fruth, Vex Hybrids. What an amazing conversation is always an amazing guy. And when you go on that uh, test bed thing down to the distillery, I kind of want to go with you. If you don't mind. <laughs> the right. more the merrier. Brad, thanks for being here. Today. Thank you very much, John. Thank you.